Our scripture reading for the sermon is from Philemon, verses 17 through 25. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Father, you have turned to us and we turn to you now. As we ponder your word, would you fill us with your spirit? Would you soften our hearts that we may delight in your presence? Would you sharpen our minds that we may discern your truth? Would you shape our wills that we may desire your ways? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. It was just a couple of weeks ago when, if you'd walked into the room at our house, you would have joined us in front of a television. That's not unusual. Uh, But that night, it was in front of the CMA Awards for the uninitiated. That's the Country Music Association. And you should be ashamed if you didn't know that. But after all, this is where you live. Uh, We watch those award shows. We don't always watch them. There are members of my family who always watch those award shows. But the reason that I will sometimes watch that or the Oscars or the Emmys or the ESPYs is, is that they do give you and us a window into this culture in which we live. Besides, we like country music. But what you would have seen that night... If you had been with us, or if you happened to watch or be present, was a moving tribute, a musical moving tribute for about three hours to a variety of the episodes that have dotted our news in recent months and even this year. It included a moving tribute to those slain October 1st in Las Vegas. It noted the recurring and the snowballing occasions or evidences of sexual harassment in this culture. The racial tension that continues to live on. And in the midst of that was a call, a clarion call. You couldn't have missed it. It was a recurring drumbeat and a clarion call to unity. 
in a, in, a, in a year marked by tragedy and division, a clarion call to coming together. There was one moment or several moments where we listened to a new rendition of a song I remember tapping my toes to, driving the streets of Nashville as a teenager. Come on, people, now smile on your brother. Everybody get together. Try to love one another right now. The Youngbloods taught me that song, and some of you. It continues to be sung, and songs like it. It's actually the backdrop, the background to a current Walmart commercial where those of different ethnic and racial and apparently cultural and age differences gather around this long, long banquet table in an open field with food being passed around and shared and delighted, and there's a smile on everyone's face. And unless you've really been twisted by the fall, you watch that commercial, you hear that sound, and you hear that call to unity, and you say, there's something good about that. There is something there, that's the way it should be. Rather than a world or a culture divided by whatever divides. There's a longing that we have for something like that. And the reason is you were made for a world like that. You see, we live in a world that is filled with tension and division and tragedy that is inexplicable other than the brokenness of this world. It's ethnic, it's racial, it's cultural, and the church is not exempt. But as the New Testament unfolds, and when we come to a postcard of an epistle like this, what we find is a new vision for humanity. The church. A new vision for humanity. And that is not simply the church taking on a role that was not assigned to her. It's stepping into the shoes that you were made to walk in. It's that big. You see, we're not just a gathering of individuals who volunteered to show up in the same place at the same time on the same morning. But if you belong to Christ, you've been called into something much grander and glorious than that. And Paul gets it. And he wants you to get it. As this New Testament unfolds, we really see this picture being formed of two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of this world. And as as this letter was written and received and read in Colossae, it was the world of Rome. That's the world of this, the kingdom of this world. But there's also the kingdom of the world to come that we find in the pages of Old and New Testament. This promise and this reality that has, we understand, broken in. The world to come, you see, is not just out there somewhere. But it has broken into this one in the form of Christ. And what Paul, we saw a glimpse of this last week if you were here with us. But what we come to now in this portion of this short letter is a desire on the part of Paul, the apostle, who wants 
his friend Philemon, his friend in the faith, to welcome a new friend in the faith, a runaway slave, now friend in the faith, Onesimus, to welcome him back in the church as a brother and to establish in this house church that meets in his home a kingdom reality not seen in the Roman world. That's important. To establish here a kingdom reality that is not seen in the Roman world. Because in the Lord, that's a phrase Paul uses here in many places, the new kingdom realities are breaking into the present world. That's the thread that runs through this letter and his hope. And for the time that we have here, briefly want to look at what Paul sees. And then most of our time will be what Paul's vision requires. What Paul sees. You see, what Paul is after is seeing something transpire that is out there on the table to be had. It's an opportunity before Philemon to, to put on display, to put his money where his mouth is, to put before those around him, what he has come to know and to believe. You see, he sees a relationship that ought to be. That's what Paul sees. He sees a relationship that ought to be. Now, if you are just joining us today, or if you've forgotten, like some of us, what we talked about the last two weeks, here's the storyline. Philemon is the recipient of this letter, and he had incurred a debt to Paul somewhere along the way, probably by being converted. It was that kind of life-altering, I owe you my life kind of moment. Paul is imprisoned for his faith, and he's been imprisoned more than once, this occasion and at least one other. We know he's imprisoned in Ephesus and in Rome, and the letter doesn't really tell us which. We might argue one or the other. Ephesus was closer And it might be that a runaway slave found his way 100 miles away to Ephesus, not Rome. But it doesn't really matter as we interpret this. It was one or the other, most likely. But Paul is in prison and he runs into, guess who? The runaway slave. We're not sure how that relationship took place. But in that relationship, another event occurs. A life-altering event when the runaway slave comes face-to-face with the gospel and his life is turned right side up. That's what's happened. Paul hears about Philemon's love and faith from the runaway slave and from another character, Epaphras, that he mentions here, a native of this little town of Colossae who evangelized the city. So the word has gotten to Paul about Philemon and what continues to go on there, and he's encouraged. And so Paul sends a letter back with the runaway slave now returned, Onesimus, and he hands the letter to Philemon, and it is read in the public gathering of the church, no doubt. What we saw a couple of weeks ago was that the beginning of this short letter really serves as a letter of affirmation. Paul affirming Philemon in his faith and love and how you, my brother, have refreshed the hearts of many. That's the affirmation. It's a letter of affirmation, followed by a short few verses, which we might call a letter of introduction, 
where he is introducing this runaway slave and saying, this man who ran away is not the man who has returned. And there is evidence in his life of the work of God, and he has been changed, and he is your brother in Christ. He's been introduced, a new man, to a brother in Christ. And now we come to what you might consider either the heart of the letter or maybe it's the card that Paul has been waiting now to play. Because he goes further than saying, welcome him back. There's more to be done. Uh, Paul saw a remedy. He saw a remedy to the dilemma that was now facing his friend Philemon. You see, there was a circle, and in that circle was Paul and Philemon in this house church, and outside that circle was Onesimus. When he ran away, to begin with, he was not a member, we trust, of, of the house church because he was converted later, and now he's returned, but he's returned as a former outsider, and now, now there's a circle, and the question is, is he welcomed into the circle? And Paul saw a remedy. And the reason he saw a remedy is that Paul was seeped and soaked in this biblical narrative. And the fact is, the more anyone is seeped and soaked in this biblical narrative, you begin to recognize what's wrong or what ought to be. And some of you can tell that story. The more you grow in Christ, the more you understand how relationships are strained and what the remedy is. It's a matter of saying, would you forgive me? You get there because you begin to see the biblical narrative in that story that we all have something to confess on that front. But we also begin to see what's wrong culturally, what's broken in this world. And when we give weight to the biblical narrative and story, things come into focus a little bit more. And Paul sees this remedy and he offers it. You see, he understands that, as he will write in Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And that's what's driving Paul as he writes this short epistle, that truth and that reality. That's what Paul sees. But what does that vision require? What will it take for that kind of vision to take root and to take shape and to shape relationships and to bring together things that ought to be together in people? We find it, and here's our little outline, there's three words, there's three verbs, there's three imperatives in these next few verses. Verse 17, you see, welcome or receive Onesimus as you would receive me. That's where it starts. His rationale is, has to do with relationships. If you consider me your partner is how he starts it. It's a partner in the faith. It's not a business partner. It's not merely friends. There's a spiritual alliance that Paul is pointing to and referring to. It's more than a mere friendship. It's more than a similarity of outlook. It's not like they read the same book just. There's a spiritual unity that led to common activities born of a common loyalty to Christ. They were in this enterprise together, this kingdom enterprise. The one, you remember the one that has broken into this world? <laughs> that's, that's what Paul and Philemon have partnered together with in some ways. 
One commentator notes it like this. Paul has brought Onesimus into the family of God. And now Paul has drawn a circle around himself and Philemon and now exhorts the slave owner to welcome the slave into the circle with them, something Paul has already done. And when he says, welcome him as you welcome me, do you know what he's doing? He's lending Onesimus his status. The status of the apostle is on loan to the slave. Welcome the slave as you welcome the apostle. It's not a he, him. It's not a me, them. It's not an us, them. It's, there is in Christ a level playing field at the foot of the cross. There's no status. He's loaning his status. Welcome Onesimus as you would welcome me. And then Paul deals with what might be a potential or obvious barrier to this welcome. You can almost look at Philemon's face and hear him say, but don't you know, Paul, what has really occurred? He has stolen from me. We don't know exactly the degree or what it was. We know that as a former slave owner, you had no assets. And even the fare, whatever it costs to get from Colossae to either Ephesus 100 miles away or Rome a full day or two days journey, we don't know. But we know that Onesimus didn't own it and he probably took it. And so there's a debt. And so Paul says, he doesn't make excuses. He doesn't say, don't worry about it, Philemon. In the big scheme of things, that really doesn't matter. We're talking about heaven after all. No, he says, if he stole anything, charge it to my account. I'll, I'm good for it. I want to see this happen, and I'm good for it. So can you can begin to see what all is going on here, can't you? That the status of the apostle is loaned to the slave, and the slave's debt is imputed to one who has assets. You see, Paul can urge forgiveness and restoration. That's what he's after. Forgiveness and restoration, full restoration. Because when we pull back from this, we see what Paul saw. You see, Paul understood that he was an agent of reconciliation. We read that, don't we? We read it in 2 Corinthians 5. That God has, a new creation has begun, has arrived. That God has reconciled us to himself in Christ. And now he sees himself as an agent of reconciliation on display. Right here in the house church. Paul, an agent of reconciliation, says, I'll take it on. I'll pay the cost. Whatever it was, charge it to me. I'm good for it. Never to be used against you again, Onesimus. It's paid for. You're hearing the gospel, aren't you? 
you're hearing this story in which we step today because what Paul is doing is modeling what Christ has done for us on a far greater scale. Andrew Wilson is a teaching pastor at King's Church in London who writes this. Paul is saying here that he is willing to put himself in the place of Philemon and bear the cost of Onesimus' financial error. Indeed, Paul volunteers to have the cost charged, reckoned, imputed to himself. And on the converse side, Paul then asks Philemon to receive Onesimus as if he were Paul. Paul embeds his own apostolic status in Onesimus despite the fact that he is a lowly slave. He urges that one of lowly status be treated with regard to the status and stature of another. God, for our sake, made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's that exchange. Your righteousness is not adequate. Your sin is overwhelming. And in the gospel we have this offer that Paul displays before us. Put my status upon the slave. Put his debt upon me. Just as your sin is attributed to Christ who was sinless and you will receive what instead? His status, his righteousness. So one writer calls this the gospel in a mirror. <laughs> That's what we're seeing here. We're seeing the gospel played out and demonstrated in Paul's mind and in his offer and in his exhortation to Philemon to take this gospel and live it out. Take this gospel that is yours, Onesimus, and let it shape and define and form you in the way you respond to this brother in Christ. And Paul's third admonition here is then, refresh my heart in Christ. We've already noted earlier, verse 7, this is, there's an echo here of a mild, it's a mild imperative that, that Paul turns to now in his final appeal where he says, <clears throat> refresh my heart. It's not the common word for heart. It's another word referring to the inner organs where our emotions and deep compassion and love are experienced. It's that gut feeling that Paul is longing for and asking for. Onesimus, would you refresh my heart? And, and this is how, he says, by letting me gain some benefit, some sense of joy from you. By doing even more than I say. Now the fact is, we don't know exactly what Paul has in mind. We only have clues. It's not like Paul to beat around the bush. He doesn't ask point blank, word for word, for what we would call later a slave's manumission. He doesn't ask for his freedom, and we scratch our heads. Why? And the text does not answer that clearly. But it may be that, I'll come back to that in a moment, it may be that what he's asking for is for Onesimus to be assigned to him. Would you then 
release him from his debt to you, charge it to my account, and set him free to serve me. And the reason that we might think that is in verse 11, he says, he's been useful to me. And in verse 13, I would have been glad to keep him. So Paul is hinted at at least that much as referring to what it might mean to do even more than I say. And Paul calls it obedience. Your obedience, Philemon. Uh, one commentator helpfully suggests it's better to think of this obedience as directed not to Paul personally, but what we might call the gospel imperative. You know there's imperatives that go with the gospel, right? We, we receive and believe this by faith. It's all by grace. But with that comes this impulse to respond. You know, when someone is gracious to you, sometimes the thing to do is you just receive it and thank them. But there are times when it's appropriate to respond in kind. Not to pay back, but it's a response to grace and mercy. We want to respond. And Paul leaves us there with, with Philemon. Do more than I ask or say, but he doesn't really spell it out. God doesn't always spell it out, does he? The response that he elicits from you. It's faith, it's repentance, it's generosity, it's a life of, of good deeds. But God doesn't spell it out to give you boxes to check. But what he does instead is he says, I'm, I love you. I've welcomed you into my family. Take that to heart. You can almost hear God say, church, refresh my heart. Faith in Christ is always accompanied by the call to obedience. It's a, there's a fellowship created by faith that carries with, its obligation, with it obligations. To believe in Christ is to come under his law, what the New Testament calls the law of love, his law of love. That's where we're left. And that's what's dangling in front of Philemon. Paul concludes this uh, little epistle with what we could call final remarks and greetings. We won't go into all of those. There are names named that are important and significant. They, they match, map right on to words we find in, in the book of Colossians. You can find out more about those particulars. But I want to call our attention to just the two things as we look at this, these last few verses. Because here's where we see what is clearly required. Remember I said, what does Paul see and what does, what does his vision require? It requires the gospel. That's what it requires. We can't get there without the gospel. And what I mean by that is this operative dynamic that occurs in our lives that changes us from the inside out. This little book called Philemon has bookends. Verses 3 and verses 25, where we read about grace. He, he holds grace in front of Philemon and says, grace, grace. That's what's required. This isn't natural. <laughs> this isn't expected. 
But this is to put on display something that you wouldn't find in the Roman world. An inbreaking of the kingdom of God in this world. That's what is going on, and that requires what? Grace. And then the final comment is, is this little phrase tucked away at the very end that when we read that what is required, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, that your is plural. So all of a sudden it's not just Philemon, it's the church. And I could only suppose, can't you, that to really resolve this Onesimus affair, that it would take the work of a body to welcome back the thief-turned-brother in Christ. That's a work of God's grace in our midst. It's a corporate endeavor to put on display something that is unseen and unexpected in a world where those things don't happen. Because slaves aren't welcomed back. And slaves aren't welcomed back who, were, who had stolen their way to freedom. They're not welcomed back and they're not embraced. And this takes some imagination, mine and yours. Because we don't know how this story ends. <laughs> we don't know really what happens next. Most scholars believe that the reason this letter sur survived is that it was successful in convincing Philemon to forgive and receive and perhaps return Onesimus to Paul. That's the reason the letter survived. There's one tradition, and that's all it is, but tradition that this Onesimus is the one who was later, by, in the year 1110 A.D., bishop of Ephesus. Now, we don't know that. I kind of like that possibility. That there was that kind of story that unfolded. So frankly, we don't know about how this turned out. But what we do know is this. That the basis of Paul's appeal remains the basis of our hope for the world. It's that the church would be an outpost of the world to come. A foretaste of what is to come. Sort of like that spoonful of sweet potato casserole that you tasted to make sure it was ready Thursday. Or that pumpkin pie. It's a foretaste of what is to come. That's the church. We don't see it lived out fully. But there's a countercultural aspect that is the church. Tim Keller calls it this. A society where the world can see human life lived according to God's will. Through the gospel, different races and nations are closely compacted together and people who would never get along outside the church love one another inside. And so that Walmart commercial of ethnic and racial and cultural and age discrepancies coming together around a meal... kind of makes us want to say, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's good. How do we get there? How do we get there, Paul? <laughs> it's the gospel. It's the only way that that occurs. 
The world is searching for that. You long for that. And we continue to sing different versions of the same song. Come on, people now. Love one another. The world is still singing that. And is the world any closer, really? It was centuries later, I'm sad to report. It was centuries later that a life of faith in Christ that brought William Wilberforce to walk through the door that Paul broke down in these words of Philemon. When slaves and slave owners came together, finally seeing what was ugly about slavery. We don't know Paul's take. We don't know why Paul left it undone or where he did. But we know that he took his stand in a revolutionary principle that ultimately revolutionized culture and society as the breaking in of the world to come. In the Lord, you, Cornerstone, are planted in Franklin, Williamson County as a foretaste of that world. So see what can be. Do you see it? Do you see what can be? I remember the first time I drove, I drove to Colorado from Middle Tennessee. That takes you through the plains of Kansas. And I remember seeing a little blip on the horizon that I knew had to be the Rocky Mountains. I couldn't see the sheer shark, sharp angles of the mountains. It was just a blip on the horizon. And sometimes that's what we have to see first, what can be. And the closer you get the more the reality strikes and stirs you to creative dreaming and, and striving for what could be. So see what can be and put the gospel to work. Put the gospel to work in your own life, recognizing the grace and the mercy that, that Philemon did that day. He was reminded of what was true. That's what we're constantly doing with and for one another, isn't it? Reminding ourselves of what is true. And then welcome one another as God in Christ has welcomed you. Welcome those whose status is both higher and lower than your own. Because he has welcomed you who have turned to him in faith. You know, I, I said imagination. I could imagine that as this letter was concluded, all eyes turned to Philemon. And I can imagine an embrace. An embrace between a slave owner and a former slave who were brothers in Christ. I can imagine something like applause around the room, the gathered gathering of the church. I can imagine singing broke out. We don't know that for sure about this, but we do know that that's what occurs when you turn to Christ.
And Philemon was taken back, no doubt, to his own conversion. Where he went from darkness to light, from outside to inside, and from from death into life. And to become a part of the world to come. May those realities be more and more true of us as we see more and more of Christ and see what might be and to put the gospel to work first in our own lives and then in our relationships and then in our world. And I want to close with these words that we sang together just moments ago. Take your truth, plant it deep in us, Shape and fasten us in your likeness that the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. Amen. Father, would you do that work in us? Would you plant that truth deep in us and let it shape and fashion us that our lives, our responses might be a display of the world to come as we take our place in this gospel story again today. We thank you for the love, the lavish love of Christ that is ours by faith. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.